This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, November 26, 2017. The reader is Brian Kirkman. The speaker is Andrew Pack. More information can be found at rdchurch.com. Haggai 2. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Praise be to God. Good morning. If it's your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm, I do discipleship here for Restoration Road. It is my pleasure to close down our Haggai uh, sermon series with you today. Uh, so if you would please pray with me. King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. The power of the gospel does not lie in our eloquence or in our ability or, or in, our, in and of ourselves to be clever or funny or creative, Lord Jesus, but the power of the gospel is in the Holy Spirit delivering the truth of you through your word to your people. And so right now, Jesus, I pray you would fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would understand that this is not a, a group of people, an audience coming to hear a man talk, but the people of God gathering to worship the Son of God by the power of the Spirit of God. Help us, Jesus. We take far too much credit for all the things we ever do. And yet you're so gracious to us and so kind to us and so merciful enough to make us new and to make us yours and to change us and to grow us and to meld us. And so I pray, Lord, as we come to your word that you would do that to us now. That we'd understand, those of us who are Christians, that we are men and women made new. We are sons and daughters of God Most High. We've been invited into the work you are doing in the world and in the worship of you forever. I pray for those who are here who don't know you that they would see the truth today about who you are, Lord Jesus. So help us and lead us and guide us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know you more through our time together. We love you, Lord Jesus, and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're in Haggai. We're in chapter 2 and verse 20. So if you'd go with me there. Uh, we have four verses. It's Haggai's last uh, last prophecy in the book. And what's amazing about this particular uh, text, and I think this particular book in general, but this particular uh, vision that we get from Haggai, this particular uh, prophecy that he shares, as we look to this prophecy, we see that God's light shines its clearest in the midst of darkness. 
It's in the darkness that God's light is so clear. And here, as we turn to this last prophecy in Haggai, we see that Jesus is God's light shining in the backdrop of Haggai. And as Christians, this isn't new to us. Uh, if, this is, if you are a Christian, you hopefully, and I think at least intuitively, understand this reality, that, that God's light shines in the darkness because you and I have been redeemed out of darkness. We've been redeemed out of our rebellion against God. We've been redeemed from hurting God and hurting others. But we've also come to know as Christian people, it's not just our wiling out, and it's not just our traditional sin as people think of it, but it's also all the right things we do for the wrong reasons. It's everything that you have done in your life to say, well, I'm a good person. People like me. I'm at the center of my own universe. We love karma in the Northwest. We love it and we say, listen, I tip well and I pay it forward. I'm other-centered. I'm generous. I'm selfless. The reality is most of the good things we do for the wrong reasons are either based on our guilt for the wrong things we've already done and trying to pay it back or we're trying to pay it forward by saying, I'm a good person, so I've done these things. So I put my money in your tip jar so good things will happen to me later. Oh wait, I'm putting the money in my bank account, not your bank account, because I think good things are going to come of this. There is a darkness there. There's a pervasive darkness and a lack of freedom in a life lived that way. That When you come to see the truth, you come to see the darkness and how this envelops us and how it gets to us. And not only that, friends, you know there are right things you've chosen not to do. There are right things in the world that you could have done something about, and yet you pulled the shades, you rolled up your window, and you moved on with the rest of your life. Now here's the power of the gospel and how it shines in that darkness. The reality is, is that Jesus doesn't show up to tell you to be better and to behave more honorably and to not do those things and to knock it off. But the reality is that our darkness is so dark that the Bible calls it death and that the Lord Jesus Christ comes into human history to take dead people and make them alive. And that is the good news of the gospel, not because of anything we've done, but everything Jesus Christ has done. If you don't know Jesus, this is why we are here talking about a book that was written 1,497 years ago. That's Haggai. Uh, because this book is about this Jesus who comes into darkness and saves sinners from death to life. So if you'd go with me, did that just happen in real life? It is Christmas, and so I will receive that. If you go with me to Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, also known as December 18th, 520 B.C. Why should we care about a book written in 520 B.C. on December 18th, other than it's my third son's, pardon me, second son, third child's birthday, just, you know, several thousand years. No, several, almost 2,000 years before, right? Why, why should we care about this? Why should this matter? Well, helpfully, Haggai's actually given us a big, eh, 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 you, you are here uh, moment as we, we look to this first verse. The word of the Lord came second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Now, sometimes when you read your Bible quickly, you miss that there's a lot going on right there, but there's a ton of things that just happened. One, 
First and foremost, Haggai has located us into the giant story of the Bible. The reason you probably don't read the minor prophets and they're weird to you, you say, what's a minor prophet? The minor prophets are some of the prophetic works that are in the middle of your Old Testament. Your Old Testament is 78% of your Bible. And we stay out of it because it feels weird to us. Right? It's quiet. It's okay. It's Christmas. We can be friendly about it. You stay out of the first 78% of your Bible because you don't understand it. Here's the amazing thing about the Bible. The number one way you can come to understand your Bible is the Bible that God has put in your hands. Read it often. Read it regularly. Read it a lot. And as we'll see, even with this one little text, there's a bunch of stuff happening that goes out into the rest of the book. But here we are. Uh, We know where we're at. We're in this time and in this place, and a bunch of Persian words just came up. And you say, who cares about Persian words unless you played Prince of Persia in 1987, which was the greatest video game in 1987? Period. I don't care what you say, I am correct. Now, here's what's happening. They are in a dark place. Uh, Sam's done a wonderful job uh, with this book, and I've been so encouraged every week to come and hear the different texts. And we even heard about some dark things last week, because here's the reality of life and where they sit in the map uh, of history. God made absolutely everything good, and human beings broke it. God is so gracious and so loving and so steadfast that he is in the business of taking broken things and making them new. And out of broken humanity, he called a family. Starting with a guy named Abe. Abram, if you want to be really technical, but he and I are on sort of first name basis at this point in time. Abe gets called out of the middle of what's now Iraq. Uh, He's a pagan who worships pretend gods, and God calls this Abraham to make a family for himself. God reveals himself to him. He is just kind to him and reveals himself to this guy who's, who's living a life far from the God of the universe, and he reveals himself, and he calls him, and he makes promises, and he makes his family, and he has this family, and they find themselves in this place called Egypt. We still have Egypt, interestingly enough. They're in Egypt, and things go really, really, really poorly for them. And God shows up, and he says, listen, if you do what I say, I'll help you guys out. Would you guys be into that? If you've read your Bible, and it's okay if you haven't, that's not actually what he says. What does he say when he shows up in Egypt? He says, you guys are coming with me. And they say, didn't you know Egypt is like the world's superpower? Like, didn't you know Egypt can crush everybody all the time and everything? How are you going to do that? And this is when God leans in and says, because I'm God and I do what I do and I do what I do and I want to do it because I'm God and that's what we're going to do. And so he doesn't show up and make a deal. Hey, if you guys will behave, I'll take care of you. That, that's the world, that's, that's the story of every other religion on planet Earth, including, including Buddhism and yoga and all these other new agey things. If you pay it forward, good things will happen to you. If you behave, good things will happen to you. The story of the Bible and the story of what's called Exodus, I know it's Christmas and this is kind of Easter, but you'll have to bear it with me. Um, he comes in and he saves the day. He comes in and he saves everybody. He pulls them out of the darkness. He redeems them and then reveals himself to them and says, this is who I am. And this is who you are. And this is how you're going to live as my family. And he says, and this is what it looks like to do that. And not only that, God in his grace and mercy sets up a whole system to deal with it when they screw up. It's called the sacrificial system. He sets a system up for them by which when they don't do the things that God told them to do, and by the way, when the God of the universe tells you to do something, you should probably do that thing. Not only does he have rights as God to tell you to do that thing, but he actually made everything and knows how everything works best. Every one of his commands for us and for them were part of this family, by the way, but I'll get to that part of the story. And I promise there's Christmas in it. 
God built everything and knows how everything works best. He is the artist who made you and this planet and this world and this universe. And he actually knows how this thing is supposed to work. And he is kind enough to tell us. The God who made everything was kind enough to reveal himself to some people. And then they listened to him and they never, ever, ever, ever broke any of the rules that he ever gave them and everything was really awesome and it went happily ever after. That's not what happens in the Old Testament. If you haven't read the Old Testament, they actually pretty quickly find pretend gods and other things to pursue and follow. But God says, hey, I love you too much to let you live that way. If you do that, things are going to fall apart for you, by the way. And here we are. They've been returned from exile because they got kicked out of the land that God gave them because they pursued a thousand other things other than God. And as he says here, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai. What happened in the first time? Well, if, if you haven't heard it, Sam preached a great sermon on this last week. You can listen to it. But the haiku version of that uh, particular sermon is, I gave you these things to know me and you became about the things rather than about me. You forgot who I am. You forgot who you are. And I gave you all these things and now I have to take them away. But he doesn't just take them away to be cruel or, or to be mean, but that they might see the God of the universe for who he is. And so here we are. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. December 18th is a bad day when a prophet has to show up twice. The main job of a prophet is not to be a fortune teller. Though they do talk about the future sometime, and we're going to talk about the future today. The main job of the prophets is to say, this is who God is. This is who you are. Stop finding your satisfaction in something other than Him. That, that's their job. That's, that's what they do. Right? And, and this is where we have that awkward moment as human beings where we look and say, well, geez, if God had redeemed me in the way that he redeemed them and put me in the land and, uh, and, you know, and let me rebuild the temple and he'd done all these things, or like with the Egyptians, if, if, if I had, had seen the pillar of smoke by day and fire by night and he crushed a bunch of chariots and, and parted the Red Sea and put me in this land, I would be totally and completely faithful to Jesus. If you are a Christian, here is reality. God has not just done these things by pillar of smoke, by sending, but by sending His own Son, by cleansing you of your sin, by sending you the Holy Spirit to empower you, by changing you, by making you new, by giving you a new, a new heart and empowering you to follow Him. And then you say, hey, isn't that new show on Netflix going to be awesome? You're here in the reality of who Jesus is and you get bored with Jesus very quickly. But you don't have to. You don't actually have to. We live in the world of buzzing, fluorescent lights and the news on your phone 24 hours a day. Have you ever checked the news like 3 in the morning because you can't sleep? Why do you need to know what's happening in Bangladesh at 3 in the morning, Snohomish time? You don't. You don't. The, the problem is, and our problem is, we are just like them. Except for we have some really, really good news. But that's the present. That's the Christmas present. We'll get there. 
So they're in the midst of this very serious darkness. And, and it's actually really, really dark. Uh, there's some stuff here that we can actually miss, how, how dark it is. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. And you might not even be able to pronounce Zerubbabel. But you know how I said, if you read your Bible a lot, you, you, you'll realize there's some stuff in here that the Bible tells you about some stuff. Do you know who Zerubbabel is? You know who he's related to? A guy named David. You know who David was? He was the king par excellence. He was the king. Like, there were other kings after David, but he was like, he was like the king. You know, like Elvis. You know, he's the king, right? You, you don't even need to use the word Presley. When I say Elvis, you know who I am talking about. And then someone has to be really nerdy and say, well, what about Elvis Costello? And then everyone else says, who the heck's Elvis Costello? And then we move on. And two people got that joke, but it makes my point. Elvis is the king, and I don't need to use his last name. When you say King David, you're like, which King David? No, no, the King David. So Zerubbabel, which again, fun name to say, Zerubbabel's like his great, 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 great grandkid. This word governor here, it's a, that's an, it's a loan word. What's called a loan word? It's borrowed. It's from the Persians. It's a title the Persian king gave to him. There are some Bible scholars who think he might just be a figurehead. That he doesn't even actually have any authority here in Judah. Now, uh, I'm Danish, and we love, we love Queen Margrethe II. We all have to have pictures of her in our house, and she is amazing, but you've never heard of her, and that, that's okay, right? She is awesome and has absolutely no power on planet Earth at this point in time, right? But she is amazing, and her kids are amazing, and we're Danish, and so we have to celebrate them and light incense. And No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Now, we have a president, right? And that's an American word. President, I say president, you know what I'm talking about. Now, imagine if the president, it doesn't matter who he is, I'm just giving you an example, or the governor of Washington, right? If all of a sudden we started calling the governor of Washington the prime minister, you know, we don't have prime ministers. Right, exactly. So this, this, this can be kind of lost on us, but what it really means is Zerubbabel should be sitting on a throne ruling in Israel, and instead he's given a name from a foreign country uh, who is in control of absolutely everything, and where we sit here are the people of God were given all these wonderful things by God, and they missed that those things were for them to worship God, and they had their own country once upon a time, but now it's not really their own country. It belongs to another country. The land that's theirs isn't really theirs, and everything, honestly, if you read the Bible, isn't as it ought to be. These two little verses, or these two little ideas, the date the sec and the second, the second time he's telling them what's up, and the fact that there's this governor, is supposed to let us know that things are really, 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 really bad in the land. And again, some of this can be lost on us if we don't read our Old Testament enough, but things are really, really bad. Now, all my favorite Christmas sermons are where Jesus uh, is the conquering king, because that's what he does. Uh, we love baby Jesus, right? We love to think about baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is awesome, because baby Jesus is Jesus who dies on a cross, who bleeds out and raises from the dead to save us from ourselves. 
And that Jesus is awesome because that Jesus is the Jesus who's going to come ripping through the sky and put everything back the way it's supposed to be. That's why I love Christmas, and that's why I love that little baby, and that's why I love the cross, because Jesus is a king who's putting absolutely everything back the way it's supposed to be. Now listen to this. Tell this to Zerubbabel. In the middle of this darkness, in the middle of all these things going wrong, I'm about to shake the heavens, and I'm going to read the whole thing, and we have to pull a bunch of stuff out, but it's going to be awesome, I promise. Saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of kingdoms and of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and their riders shall go down everyone by the sword of his brother on that day declares the Lord of hosts I will take you O Zerubbabel my servant the son of Shetael declares the Lord and make you a like a signet ring for I have chosen you declares the Lord of hosts now God's not just picking a fight with these quote-unquote nations just to pick a fight think bad guys these are the bad guys this is the empire Fill in your favorite thing there, right? Empire, no. Star Wars is coming, people. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Someone's got it. Is that, did I do a first order? Is that what I had to do? No? You got it? Good. So, so when we think of this, think of the, these are the bad guys. This isn't just a, a border skirmish with Canada over maple syrup. Uh, these are people who keep showing up and kicking everybody around, who keep showing up and killing everybody, who keep showing up and messing everything up. And Israel sits there as this people who live under this Persian king with absolutely nothing. There are battles in your life that are darker than anyone else in this room can imagine and you feel absolutely alone in the battle. There are things that you are warring against that maybe you have never told anybody else. The God of the universe actually knows. He actually knows where you're at. And imagine being these people in this very dark place, feeling extremely helpless. And God says, I know how dark it is, and I have it. I am going to vindicate the righteous. I am going to deal with the bad guys. I'm going to take care of it. But listen, we have these little words here. Speak to Zerubbabel governor saying, I am about. So that little word there, they're sticking that word in there. Because in the grammar and the syntax, this in a really like literal translation, what he actually is saying is, I have. I have destroyed the chariots. I have dealt with the bad guys. And they're looking around saying, um, where? When? Where? When? It's called the prophetic perfect. It's a fancy word you don't need to remember, but what it means is that God is speaking about this thing that he is going to do in such a way that it has already been done. Because when Jesus says yes, the answer can't be no. This is the God we worship. This is the God we serve. This is what we need to know about him. This reveals things about his character. Do you realize the Bible talks about your salvation in three ways? You have been saved. If you are a Christian, you have been saved. Not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But he also says you're being saved. Have you felt that? You put down a sin and you get some freedom. You take off the old man, you put on the new. 
You stop being the person you once were and more and more you walk in the person you now are. Does that not feel like being saved? Experientially, do you not feel like you are being saved when God moves in your life and defeats sin in your life? It's, it's liberating. It's freedom. But he also says you will be saved. You have a place in the new heavens and the new earth with God forever and ever. And no one can take that away from you. If you are truly a Christian, not, not even yourself can take that away from you because he came and made you alive even though you were dead. That's what he does. And he's speaking in this way. And what, what you need to know here is, is this word and this language and in this syntax this is what's called causative. And so if you can fit causative on Scrabble, you win, right? But causative, what, what God is doing here again and again and again, he says three times, declares the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. What he's making really clear here is that I'm going to move in the life of my people. I'm going to redeem them. I am going to save them. I am going to move. And it will be clear to you that it is I who do it. What a wonderful God that we have. That when your life is a mess, he doesn't leave you to the mess and say, clean your own room. Right? It's okay if you do that as a parent. I'm not judging you. But God doesn't just leave you alone in it. He doesn't just leave them alone. Even though they've messed up really bad and the darkness is of their own design that they're experiencing, that they are in. And yet God has shown up, and even that, that passage we looked at last week ended with three words. Do you know what they were? Were you paying attention? I will bless, oh, four words. I will bless you. They're four words. Maybe it's one word in Hebrew. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Even though he calls them out, he says, I will bless you. Even though you come in here with whatever you come in here with, if you don't know Jesus, I am not, this is not, this is not something made up. This is, this is the scheme, right? We don't tell you to come in here and be like us. We invite you in here to say we are people that are redeemed out of the darkness and know a God who will save you and his name is Jesus. Be saved. Because he moves. He's causing these things. Listen, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and actually, literally, it's, and I am about to overthrow the kingdoms and I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations and I am going to overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. That's how tough God is. When he shows up, everybody else just fights each other and loses their minds. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shittael, declares the Lord. There it is again. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you. I have chosen you, declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So in the midst of their darkness, he makes this great promise about the light that he's going to shine. Right? If you go with me to Psalm chapter 2. Because despite the fact these people have been unfaithful and these people have not done what they ought to do often, they actually know their Bibles, very likely at least, at least most of them. And a lot of them know these promises. Psalm 2 is written by King David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So these are the bad guys, right? 
against the Lord and against His anointed. Do you know what the word Christ means? It means anointed one. It's our word for Messiah, Hamashiach, the King. God's King. So these people know some things. They know some promises. They remember that God came to Abraham, their, their sort of great, 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 great grandfather. And he, he said, I, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless the nations through you. And they're sitting here in 520 B.C. and sort of the wreckage and the shabble uh, that surrounds them. Shabble's not a real word. But we move on. Don't use it in Scrabble. You'll lose. But they sit there and everything's falling apart. And they said, didn't you say, God, that you were going to make us a great nation? And that you were going to curse the nations who fight with us and you were going to bless them? And they know the, this promise, right? And, and, and they, they know Sinai, that where God made these promises to them. And again, they used them incorrectly. They, they, they thought because they had the temple once upon a time that no one could ever fight them and win. So they thought they could go worship a bunch of pretend gods and do whatever they want to do, Right? This is like saying, well, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to go sin a bunch, and it's covered, right? Because it's on the cross. This is where the Apostle Paul, of course, in Romans says, if that's what you think the gospel is, you miss the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus set you free. Be free. And they know this promise. God says, I'm going to have a king sit on your throne forever and ever. Not only that, they know this other promise. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says, hey, that covenant we made that I made with Moses, you screwed everything up, but I'm going to fix it. And they know what it says in Ezekiel 36. I'm going to actually give you a new heart. I'm going to change everything. And they know all these promises that God has made to move on their behalf. And they're sitting there maybe even thinking about Psalm 2 and thinking, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe Zerubbabel is the Christ. Maybe he's the anointed one. Maybe he's the Messiah. Because that's what that just sounded a lot like. I'm going to make you a signet ring. And I can imagine them sitting there remembering Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laugh, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath on this terrifying day of fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Does this sound much like what we just heard in Haggai? Now what's the, what's the problem with Zerubbabel? Well, he gets a mention in Zechariah in the 11th month of the same year in the prophecy just that way in your Bible. And then, like the new, best new recording artist of 1983, Men at Work, he's never heard from again. And tell. Now, now imagine, you're sitting there and you say, well, didn't God say he's going to make this guy? Didn't, didn't God say he's going to make this guy his signet ring? D didn't God say he's going to choose this guy and he's going to do these things? Didn't he say that the nations are as good as crushed? Didn't he say the bad guys are as good as defeated? And in the 11th month, we hear about Zerubbabel one more time and then we don't hear about him for a long time. A long time, in fact. But if you go with me to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, I will take my minor prophet sermon and like origami, transform it into a Christmas sermon. I can't do origami, but I can make fun sound effects. Matthew's Gospel says this in verse 1. 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, especially here at Christmas, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title, the anointed one, God's king. He says it right here. This is how Matthew starts this gospel. You need to know this is the one that God said was going to come and wipe the tears from the eyes. This is the one that God said was going to come and make this new covenant. God said this is the one who's going to come and do the things that make God say things like, I'll remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. Uh, This is the one who says, I'm going to make these people new. I'm going to give them new hearts. And he's here. Yay, it's Christmas! Right? Transformers are awesome and all, but this thing is about Jesus being awesome. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, God's anointed Messiah who's come to set everything straight. The son of David. The son of Abraham. What's he saying? Hey, remember that promise I made? I'm going to do something to all the nations through Abraham's kids? He's here. He's here. But not only that, the son of David. Now, go down with me right in the middle of this genealogy. I promise I won't preach the whole thing. Though I would say, in this particular genealogy, with Ruth and and with all these other ladies, there is a really amazing Christmas sermon in here that I just have to punt on and keep going. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jochain, you know I'm going to try and pronounce that one this morning, was the father of Shittael. Hey, remember him? And Shittael... The father of who? Right. He gets two appearances in the New Testament, here and in another genealogy in Luke. Now go back with me. On that day, on that day, this is what's called eschatological. This is future language. This word appears about 30 times in the Old Testament in this exact phrase, and it always is God saying, I'm going to do this amazing thing. I'm going to do this amazing thing. I'm going to do this amazing thing. And here he is one more time saying, I'm going to do this amazing thing. On that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant. He's doing the same thing he does with David. He talks about David's family in such a way that he's talking about the Messiah. David, you're going to sit on my throne forever and ever. Well, David didn't sit on his throne forever and ever. He's using a kind of language to say, your kin, your kids, your kiddos, your children, someone in your line is going to sit on a throne forever. Right? And not after David. Everything pretty much goes south. And so we have Zerubbabel here, his great-great-great-great-grandkid, who is some puppet governor, in, you know, in, as far as the Persians are concerned, in some backwoods, know-nothing, uh, far-off province. Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shittael, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. Now, what is a signet ring? Ever seen Robin Hood? Not men in tights, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> my age is showing, and that's all right. In this film, they melt some wax on a seal. What's her name? Mary or whoever. And she seals it with a ring. And so when that thing shows up, this is a really old custom, and so when that thing, that piece of paper that's rolled up with the seal on it, that signet ring, that's a signet ring seal, a signing ring seal, when that piece of paper shows up, wherever it shows up, it's as if that person said it. It's as if that person said it. So there's some weight and there's some power to this signet ring. Now this is a prophecy they would have been really familiar with. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. 
long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The author of Hebrews uses the prophets all the time. And I think he actually has Haggai in mind in a lot of it. He quotes Haggai several times. Haggai 2, this is how bad things are and this is how you took the stuff of God and ruined it. Hey, there's some light coming out of this thing. If, if Haggai's the haiku in like three lines, Hebrews is the novel that unpacks what God's actually doing. And I'll show you. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. I won't come back for all this in a second. Whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Oh, I missed the line I actually need. Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Listen. And the exact imprint of His nature. That word there, that verb in Greek, means the action of putting the signet ring down. That's the verb. So now you imagine you're someone, you get this letter, and you know your Old Testament really, really, really well, and you say to yourself, did the author of Hebrews just say that that cat was the signet ring? Because I think for us, and again, this is the, this is the, this is the only, this is not the only problem, this is the problem of some of the distance, we miss that the author of Hebrews right now is jumping up and down and saying, Jesus is the guy! Jesus is the guy! And if you're a reader, you read this and you say, that's exactly what it says. And you go back to Haggai and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've got a problem. God's going to solve it. His name is Jesus. And, and the reason I think this is if you walk through the rest of Hebrews, he just does this thing over and over and over and over and over again where he says, yeah, the thing that Moses said that you didn't listen to, a better Moses is here. Hey, those sacrifices that you started making the thing that made you think you were awesome, a better sacrifice is here that is better than some turtle doves or, or some ram or whatever because here's how it worked in the old temple. You'd walk in, you'd sacrifice your turtle doves or whatever, you walk back out, somebody's chariot runs your foot over, you give them the universal sign of disapproval, you have to walk back into the temple and deal with your sin again. Wash, rinse, repeat. But a new sacrifice has come, friends. He's paid the price for all your sins. We're not unclean anymore. We don't need to be cleansed anymore because the, the Lamb of God who is slain has washed you clean of all your sins. This can't be said enough. He looked at your life when He saved you and knew all of the horrible things that you have never told anyone and saved you and called you clean. But not only that, as the God of the universe looked at your life and everything that you would ever do against God and man and said, that person is mine and they're clean. This is the power of the gospel. This is not become a Christian and then try really hard to make it to heaven. This is the reality that when you meet Jesus, Jesus saves you in a complete kind of way and that you belong to him. Because they missed it with the sacrifices. And they missed it with the law. And they missed it with the temple. And they missed it with the tabernacle. And they missed it with the presence all these artifacts became the things that thought were the things that divined their life in God, 
but the thing that defined their life and God and the thing that defines your life and God is God. Every one of those things existed for the worship of God. Every one of those things existed so that they would know God and make much of his name. Your Bible doesn't exist to make you feel guilty because you keep failing at your reading plan. Your Bible exists because of the God of the universe has chosen to reveal himself to you. Your Bible exists so that you would hear the voice of God and respond in the praise of his glorious name. This church doesn't exist so that we can have a sign out front and have cool TVs that say, amen, don't hit it, please. Now then, this is a, this is a character thing. Now, now I've said don't hit it, and it's like the red button that I told them not to touch, right? We don't exist to make ourselves feel better. We exist to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ who has set us free and made us his own. They existed for God, but they started existing for themselves and for the temple and for the land and for all these other things. And Hebrews just marches through and obliterates it all. He takes it all away and he says, you had this thing that was the sacrificial system, but the real sacrifice who takes away sins is here. And you had this priesthood that was cool because you could go and the priest would go in once a year and he'd blah, blah, blah. He'd visit with the presence of God and they'd do sacrifices for you. A better priest is here. God himself came and lived on planet earth and knows what it's like to be like us. And now there's only one mediator between ourselves and God, and that's the man Christ Jesus, who, by the way, is God, which means there's no actual uh, mediator between us and God. It's God has come to mediate our relationship with him. And Hebrews just knocks it out of the park. He says, this is the problem, God, and Jesus is the solution. The hearts of the people in Haggai's time grew dull because they forgot who God is and who they were. They forgot that the point of the things they were doing for God was God. And it's really easy to look at their life and see how the, the pieces, the religious artifacts of their life became kind of mute. And, and God even goes so far as to say, you're doing these things, but they're unclean. Uh, these, pe these people honors me with their lips, but not with their hearts. And it's easy to look at these people and say, well, that's nice for them. The reality is this is really easy for us to be in the same exact spot, right? But the amazing thing is that we just need to keep in focus the thing that they forgot, who God is, who we are, and where they live. The reality is that Jesus has saved you from your sins if you're a Christian. If you don't know him, today is the day. Meet the Lord. Know him. Receive him. But this is who you are. The temple's not out there anymore. The temple's right here. The Spirit of God has come to dwell inside of you and empower you to follow Jesus and to live your whole life for him. And there is no more sacrifice because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. So you live as these freed people. We live as these freed people who are let go to love him and know him with our whole lives. And we live in a world where sometimes it's really clear that Jesus is king when he moves. And sometimes we look around and just like the people say, when? When? You made these promises. When are you going to deal with the bad guys? When are you going to do the thing? And, and these people, I think you can see throughout the prophets, at some point in time, they begin to get disheartened. They begin to forget that when Jesus says yes, the answer is never no. Jesus is putting this world back the way it's supposed to be. We celebrate Christmas not just because of his first advent, but because of his second. We celebrate Christmas because he came as a baby to save sinners from death to life, but he's also coming ripping through the sky to put this world back the way it's supposed to be, to wipe every tear from every eye, to move. God moves in the darkness. 
When God moves in the darkness, his light shines. So if you don't know Jesus, this is the good news of the gospel. We're not here to tell you to be like us, to behave like us, to, to act like us. We're here to say we need this Jesus to save us, and so do you. Be saved. And if, if you do love Jesus, we've been sitting here, we're coming to the end of Haggai. There have been some, some wonderfully hard words in Haggai and some wonderful, wonderfully beautiful truths about Jesus. I would implore you, turn to him. He saved you for more. He saved you for more. And, and if you're following Jesus and uh, you know, your life isn't sort of just, you're not just going through the motions, and, and you have to say this, I don't mean perfectly, right? How are you going to give of yourself to help other people follow Jesus, to know this truth of this God and this good news of him? How are you going to give of yourself to help other people in this church know him? Let's pray.